0: So, we have been, get right into it, we've been talking through, uh, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed the last uh, few weeks of being able to do a sermon, do this sermon back to back to back, and I, I get to do the Christmas Eve uh, message too, and Pastor Steve's biggest concern with, uh, he had two parts, it was, well, you're doing to do the Christmas Eve service, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, that'd be great, I'd love it. I'd love to do it. And he's like, we'll have all the kids in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, and you, we're going to give the kids something, right? Yeah, we'll give the kids something for Christmas. He's like, and I get one too, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> See now? That, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I've really enjoyed doing the, the, these last few messages on, uh, kind of call them the greetings. And if you read the New Testament, The the letters to the different churches they all start off with these greetings and most every single one of them pair off and they go right with grace and mercy and so the 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 I'm sorry grace and peace it's grace and peace grace and peace and a couple of a couple of them go on and add mercy to it and I, I if you read through it I feel like James if you've read the book of James I mean that is the least apologetic book in the Bible. I mean, it is void of any suggestion of how you should live your life, and it is so straightforward the whole way through. And I appreciate it so much, you know. And there's some great content. I, the beginning of James, though, it's almost like James is like, okay, I gotta. Paul's out there writing grace and peace. He's throwing in mercy in there. I, I, I got to come up with something for the John is all about this love. He's writing these books. So James comes out and he says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. That's it. <laughs> Greetings, guys. I mean, let's get right into it. And then he just immediately goes into it. But, you know, the other, the other, the other writers are a little bit more, little more, little more graceful as they go into it. And if you, you I, I'm pretty sure this is our first one in Titus 1, 4. So this is the greeting that, you know, was being given to these churches you know, to Titus, my own son of the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Man, I love it. It's just like that one sentence, there's so much to think about in that is what is wrapped up into that. And the, what I've really wanted us to understand through these, this, this series is that God is a God of Grace and he gives that to us. God is a God of peace, and he gives that to us. He's also a God of mercy, and he really does give that to us. And I feel like mercy is sometimes a topic that we think, yeah, God's merciful, and that's just in the New Testament, right? You know, the Old Testament, wasn't a God of mercy. I, I would strongly argue that that is not the case at all. If you have read the Old Testament, you will understand God is ex- Extremely long suffering and patient. We'll get into that a little bit later, but God is really a God of mercy. And what I want us to understand today is that there's a source of mercy that's made available to us. We need to know exactly what mercy is so that we're thinking of it in the right terms. And then we want to be sure that we're using it in our life. Because mercy is a it's kind of a twofold thing. God Makes it very clear that mercy is something that he gives to us, but then he also expects us to use it. And sometimes we could get lost on exactly how to apply it. But you know, I'd wanted to open up with just a little illustration on mercy, and I think this is a, a pretty funny one. Because we think of mercy as, as a, a time that it's like a gotcha moment where we know we, we got it coming to us, right? And then at the last moment, something miraculous comes in, and we are saved from certain terrifying judgment, right? So there was a, uh, a, a, friend, uh, a, a friend of mine, a friend of, of my parents too. Uh, funny enough, his, his dad was a judge, right? And so uh, what happened was, is, is our friend, he got caught speeding, significantly over the speed limit, right? And so uh, he decides that he is going to fight the ticket, even though he very clearly knows that he was speeding. So he sets up the court date and he's retelling this story. And he says, You know, I'm expecting, I'm hoping that, you know, I get there and the cop doesn't show up, you know, and then, all right, there we go. I got it. I'm good. I'm good to go. He says, So I, I show up in the, the court and the police officer's there. Seems like, great. You know, and, and he says, And as I'm, as I'm waiting there, I start, God starts to deal with me in my heart. Why are you pleading not guilty whenever you are guilty. And he, he says, you know, it's the first thing where you, you think of it and you just ignore it, because you're like, no, 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 I'm here, i got to do it, I've already, I've already signed the papers, I've already said I'm not guilty. And he says, you know, the person in front of me is finishing up, and he goes, and I'm just feeling like, I, oh my, I, I can't do this, I, ha, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't say I'm not guilty, I can't do it. So he finally gets to the point where he goes before the judge, and he's like, at this point, I am just so convicted, and I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm guilty. I'm just gonna say I'm guilty. So the judge is, you know, if you've ever gone to fight the a, a ticket, you know, just ask you to to come up and he says, "How do you plead?" And he goes, "I'm guilty, Your Honor." And the, he says, as soon as I said it, the judge and the police officer both kind of like just gave pause and looked over, and the judge goes, "You're you're pleading guilty?" And he goes, "Yes, Your Honor, I'm guilty. I I, I was speeding." He goes. Why are you wasting my time? He goes, why, why are you even here wasting my time? And he says, well, you know, I was, I, I was going to plead not guilty, but I, but I know it was wrong. And I know that I was wrong, and I, I, and I, I, I would be lying, and I'm not going to lie in the court, and, I, I, and I'm sorry. And I'm, I, I'm just, I'm sorry. And he goes, and he, the judge goes, well, what am I going to do? What? He said the judge was just kind of like stumbling, not expecting somebody to actually plead guilty whenever you put in a plea. Not guilty. And he says, then all of a sudden, the, the police officer just says, well, Your Honor, you know, I mean, it was a really nice day outside, and, you know, I just, I, I could understand, you know, the stretch of road, it was really open, and just, you know, I, I, I would be, I'd be I'd be fine just to knock it down to, to, to five and not be something that puts points on his license. <laughs> and so, the judge says, he said, the judge goes, are you certain? <laughs> you know, to the police officer, he says, I am, your honor, I am. And he says, well, I, that, then that's what we're going to do. And he's like, come, let's get the signatures to be done with this. And he goes, the judge was kind of like flustered with the whole thing. He goes, but I got mercy. <laughs> but I feel like we need to understand sometimes, we don't receive mercy until we're in a position where we admit we actually Need it because a lot of us we've, we're in situations where maybe we we think we should recognize whenever mercy should be given, and how broad are those situations I mean like it can be your family right, and immediate how about we start with immediate family like within the same household, right you know there are certain things that we know that we, we, we are not proficient at all the time you know we know that sometimes those areas of we lack in proficiency whether that's how we communicate how often we remember to communicate they seem to come up over and over and over and over and those are the areas it's almost like your areas of weakness are the one the areas that you want the most mercy in right and sometimes you almost feel like you know sometimes how many of you ever been in this situation I doubt that you've ever been in it but maybe I'll just share from my point you you do something you know you messed up, and it's almost like that point where you hold your breath and you're waiting for the waiting for the judgment from that that person. And then like they, they kind of just play it off, and you're like, oh, oh, oh I got away, yeah, yeah. And it, like you you go out of your way to be as kind as you can. To shift all attention from that one circumstance away from it, because you're like, I got, them. I got mercy on that. I, we don't need to revisit that. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to ever think about this again, and I'm going to make sure that we do not think about this again for the rest of the day. <laughs> right? Or, you know, there's situations where you have at work, where you hit send on that email, and you're like, oh, that wasn't done yet. And, and it goes out, and then you notice in the email chain that that email was connected to like 35 people. You notice that nobody responds back to that, your particular email that you wrote, and they're talking about other things. You're like, oh, okay. We did it. We did it. We did it, God. We did it. We did it. We did it. Nobody saw it. You know, but then sometimes it's reversed. Sometimes there are situations where it's within your power to actually give that mercy. And isn't it funny, whenever it becomes sometimes in your power to give mercy, all of a sudden it's so easy just in a moment to remember all the offences that have been built up over that period of time with that person for that one circumstance. It could be someone at work, it could be again, someone in your immediate family, a relative, a friend. But then whenever it comes, I notice whenever it comes to you giving out mercy, sometimes it's like, almost like we want to pause, like, wait a minute, well, what's going to happen if I do this? Are they just going to take advantage of me here? And you start to think through what happens if I give mercy. But you see, the thing that's beautiful is if we want to be like God, that thought's not there. Because you see, mercy isn't something for the weak. It's something for the privileged. Sometimes we think that in order for us to receive mercy, it makes us look weak. Like we don't have it together. But really, whenever we receive mercy, it's a blessing. It's a gift. I mean, whenever you've received mercy from someone, another human being, man, it feels good to receive mercy. And then it even feels better whenever they go over the top to make sure that you know, like, look, it's all good. Everything's good. And I want to let you know today that that is what God wants to do with you in your life. He wants you to be in a place where you're not constantly looking over your shoulder thinking, well, I might get judgment for that one thing I did in the past. Or you might think, you know, God, I know that we st- I-, I struggle with this one thing. You know, look, guys, we know the areas of sin in our life we're aware of them, even if we gloss over them, you know what, I want to let you know today that God's mercy is greater than the sins that you have, past, present, or future. But what we have to do is we have to come to a place where we readily admit and recognize, hey, that's an area that I need mercy in. You know, because sometimes we go through situations in our life and we don't recognize the damage that we're doing. We go and we think we're doing the right thing. We're doing what needs to be done, what has to be done, what is proper to do. And we don't recognize, or this is just, I'm just trying to be, just just trying to think of all the scenarios. And and meanwhile, you're leaving a path of destruction behind you, and you're not even aware. Boy, I should be apologizing for some of this. I'll give an example. There was a, we had a a new hire come in, and for this particular group of new hires, I was part of the the training, we were developing a, a program for it. And so you know these these people have come in you know and, and they're it's it's a good job you know but it's it's entry level positions you know and uh we're in the middle of the class talking through it, explaining the product you know my my company sells a wearable defi- defibrillator vest and um one of the one of the new hires raises their hand uh, for a question you know the the, the manager calls on and says yeah what's what do you have a question and the how long do I have to be in this position before I can apply for another position? And, uh, and you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the one speaking, so I was just like, oh, this, I'm ready for the next line of dialogue. This should be interesting, <laughs> you know. And the manager handled it so well, you know, like, well, typically, you know, we ask you to be in a position for about a year. You know, there are other or special circumstances, you know, sometimes considered outside of that, but we, that's generally the policy okay, so, but what are the special circumstances? I'm just looking to see what I can do to get out of this position as soon as possible. <laughs> it's like, whoa! Like, the, they were so brazen just to ask the question, you know? They had no clue. It was like, eh, eh, eh stop this line of questioning. Do not ask it. And so they, they, they said, you know, we could talk about that later. And they're like, well, I, thank you. I, I, I'd really appreciate that. Like, like there's some, oh, you're, you're clearly above everybody else here. Like, not what you do. But some of us, we go through life and we have conversations with people, and even the way we interact with God, we're so off kilter of how it should be and where our position should be in lines of mercy, we're almost kind of lost on it. Some of us, and sometimes you come into situations where you think, I, I know I messed up here, but I want to mess I can figure this out myself. I can get this straightened out. Anyone ever been been there? It's like, you think you can do your own damage control? Yeah. <laughs> I've learned sometimes you can't you can't do that. But sometimes we do this with God too. We think, God, you know, I know I should be spending more time with you. I know I should be changing my heart. I should be more focused on you. But just let me get these things sorted out first, and then then we'll get to it. And what happens is, is we put our relationship with God, it's constantly in a future state. It's never the right here, right now. But it's because we're not in a state to say, God, look, I need help with this. I want to do the right thing, and I'm not doing it it's almost like we cut ourselves off from receiving God's mercy because we think we can handle everything ourselves. even in our life. I mean, I struggle with that too sometimes. I think even at work, I, it, was, it was funny, I was, I was faced with it, this was a little while ago, I was faced with a situation where we had a pretty big, it was a pretty big issue that happened. And I am struggling so hard to come up with the right solution of how, how to get this thing done, how to figure this out, how to, how to sort everything, put it in order and get everybody back together so we could get on the right track and get past the problem that happened. I mean, it was nobody's fault. It just it happened. And Amanda, as I'm, I'm stressing about this, she goes, well, have you just, you just asked God for help with this and just admitted you don't have the solution? No. <laughs> so I took a second, and I asked God, God, I really need your help with this. Because in my mind, it's like, okay, I can, I can place this all out. I know what we need to do. I need to God, I need your help with this. I really need your help with this. And you know what? Within 10 minutes, not only did I have a solution to that problem, I also had a solution to a problem that had been plaguing us for about the last year and a half to two years. All came through. Why? Because I admitted that I need help from a bigger source than just myself. But you see, sometimes until we get to the place to recognize that we need a little extra we don't get the little extra. And I love that example because it wasn't just the solution to my problem. It was more than I needed. But that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to give us more than what we just perceive that we need. That's, that's because of his love towards us. And I want us to know today that God is willing, ready, ready, able to pour out His mercy to us any time that we need it. In fact, He went as far as to do it before we even thought that we needed it. First thing I want to look at is I want to look at our source of mercy. And really, yes, it's God, but there's something that is a conduit for that mercy. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. It says, Among whom all of us, also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And what the writer there is doing is helping you understand the look. Before Jesus, we did what we wanted. We thought that we lived by some kind of standard in our life, but really at the end of the day, we did what we wanted. Not even thinking about God. In verse 4, but boy, this is so good. It says, but God. Man, I love, I love in the Bible, I love, there was a, whenever I was a teenager, there was, I'll never forget it. There was a, a youth sermon, a youth, a youth pastor did a sermon It was titled, Thank God for his but. Because <laughs> he went through, and he went through all these scriptures in the Bible where it says, just like this in verse 4, but God, but God. And I love it because whenever you think of it in the terms of English, anytime you see the word but in a sentence, you could basically wipe out the first half. The second half is more important. And so here you go go in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. And that right there is the conduit of God's mercy. Sure, God is our source, but his love is what connects us in with his mercy. His love for us, his great love for us. And then it goes on verse 5. Even though we were dead in offenses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Man, the con- you can meditate on this so much and just think about this verse of how much God loves the worst possible sinner that you can possibly think of. God thought of them and gave Jesus Christ to them and gave him all the mercy that would cover and wipe away all of their sins before they even thought of him. You see guys, God is God is so preemptive in your lives. And there's so many things that God wants to give there's so many things God wants to give you, but he's waiting for your response first. He's aware of the situations that you have going on in your life right now. He's aware of not just the situations, he's aware of the emotional situations that you have going on in your life, the thoughts that you think. And he has already preemptively set solutions to all of those through his love and through his mercy. But it's up to us to access them. And all this is made available by Jesus Christ. Simply accepting Jesus Christ. You know, I, I know I touched it on the other on the other messages, but I, I really do want to help us understand the size of the gap. This verse five that's up there right now. Whenever we were dead in offenses, I, understanding the gap of sin in the relationship of God, it's almost like you can't you can't even think of how big it is. God cannot be in the presence of something sinful the gap between god and sin is so think of it the gap was so far that it wasn't if god is pure life one sin is pure death eternal death bridging that gap there was there's there's nothing that you can do there's no title that you can earn on this earth there's no amount that you can donate there's no amount of facebook likes that you can generate There's nothing that you can do by goodwill, good deeds, good actions that will even come close to bridging the gap created from sin that separates God and mankind. And if you think about it, God, the creator of heavens and earth, the very fabric of reality that we understand and the parts that we don't, if it wasn't for his word to us, God could go on existing for all eternity and we are so insignificant, we would, it, we'd be nothing more than a rock floating in space. It's not like God is dependent like, oh man, I need people, I need people, I gotta, no, 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 it was God's good nature, his love towards us. He could have left us the same way that he left the angels that sinned. He could have chose to redeem the fallen angels instead of us. He could have, but he decided. He chose. He wanted to because he loves us so much that he chose us to be the object of his affection. It's not like God said, "Oh man, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we got to get these, get to get these people to." everything falls apart if it doesn't, if they're not, if, I mean, if, if they're not on the, no, uh, no, 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 no. God could have gone on existing in any number of different directions, totally apart from us, but he chose us out of all of the galaxies in existence in the universe, out of all the planets, he chose earth and he chose us. My kids love to ask, we're, we're, we love watching Star Wars, right? So my kids love to ask the question, you know, because you watch Star Wars and it's pretty fantastical, everything, you know, that they, they have in those shows. And they ask, you, are aliens real? Dad, are aliens real? Really, are they like that? Are aliens real? And I, and I always tell them, I said, well, I don't know, they, they could be. I said, but the important thing to remember is even if they are real, we are God's prized creation above all else. Why? Because we are the only created entity that God chose to give his love and his mercy to. In fact, so much so, he said that he would even give us his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God lives inside of us. I mean, if you think about that, I am, I am a vessel, a temple of the living spirit of God. Man, I, I, I was just, I was trying to meditate on that the last couple days, just, man, what is it, God, open my mind up to that, of what it is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And so I always tell my kids with that, whenever they ask that question, I said, even if there are, we're the one that God chose to put everything into. That's big. And he did it while we were still sinners. Before we even thought of him, he wanted us to receive his love, to receive his mercy. God didn't want us to suffer eternal punishment. You see, the justice of God says that if there is one sin, the only way to pay for that sin is eternal death, eternal punishment. You might say, well, that's pretty severe. Well, those are the rules. That's his justice. And whenever the angels fell, they sinned. That was the line of justice that they received. But then whenever Adam and Eve sinned, there was something different. God said, yes, my justice for sin is eternal death, but I'm going to make another line on it. And my justice will be mercy to the sin of mankind. And I want to tell you today, God does not look at you as some half-rate living being. He doesn't look at you as some broken individual that can't live their right life right and get everything correct. He looks at you with all the love and affection that he would look at Jesus Christ and he says, no, 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 I don't want to punish you, I want to give you my mercy. And I'm telling you today, things in your life, I mean, if you get this through you, that you are the righteousness of God and God is not holding against you your sins, you are unlimited in what you can receive from God and the Holy Spirit. Why? He said he's poured out the love of, he's poured out his son for you. We guys have the best relationship with God. We have the top plateau. We are the top guns of the universe. Why? Because the living spirit of God lives inside of us and he doesn't hold any of our offenses against us because of his great mercy, his great love towards us. Yeah, it's so good. His motivation to us is he wants to give us the best available. But here's the thing. It only comes whenever you're in a place where you admit that you actually need it. As long as you're trying to accomplish and gain your worth from anything, it could be anything else in this world other than through Jesus Christ, it's misplaced. You're not relying on God's mercy. You're trying to accomplish it yourselves. It doesn't matter the title that you have at work. It doesn't matter what accomplishments you have at work, how long you've worked at one place. It doesn't matter how much status you have within your family. Well, I'm the planner. I'm the one that always fixes everything. And then you know what? It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that he has forgiven you of all of your sins. I mean, really, what are you going to earn as a better status? Being seated with the right hand with God in heavenly places? I mean, really, what... It, I mean, last I checked, it's not a position available at my work. So I, what I want you to know, though, with that, is I want you to know mercy is available through God's love. And his love is so directed at us. It's so He, is, he has poured all of his focus into us. And as we look at more into mercy, what I want to do is I want to, I, I want to give some different... Aspects to help us maybe understand mercy a little bit more, because it's not necessarily like God gave it to us out of like some frustration or begrudging reason why. I mean, parents, have you ever have you ever punished your kids and you're like, look, you're staying inside, no TV, no video games, no tablets, nothing. You're inside, and then in about three hours, you've recognized you're like, oh Lord, what have I done? you know like what this was this they were supposed to learn a lesson lord i'm i am i am the one suffering right and then all of a sudden you you notice like you modify the punishment right and you lessen it why well because it's really it's really for your benefit it's not like they've all of a sudden somehow oh mother father please forgive me for the error of my ways no none of that's happened yet it's more like Amanda and I are looking at it and go, like, I have five minutes before I blow my stack. Something has to change, right? And then all of a sudden, well, you guys can go outside. You've offered mercy, but is it really mercy out of love or is it really mercy out of a self-benefit, right? I want to let you know that God is never at that point where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick and tired of you. Fine, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll lighten it up a little bit. Just go Go do something else that I don't have to think about. No, 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 no. It's not that. All of it is such a love motivation. If you look, there's a few different words that you, you'll see reoccurring in the Bible. In uh, the Old Testament, written, written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. In in Hebrew, you'll see a few words. There's uh, the word Roshan. And it means to love or have compassion is a disposition of love towards something. That's what, whenever the word, they, they put the word mercy, but that's really the, the, the Hebrew definition of it. To love or have compassion. The next one is really interesting. It's kaporeth There's another word that's used to, to mean mercy, but this one means ransom. You say, what? Ransom. And if you, if you read the Old Testament, what did, they, what, did, what did they have Moses make was the mercy seat. In in order for sin to be forgiven, there had to be a ransom paid, a price paid. And so the word mercy literally means, in, this, in, the, in the sense of this, a price paid to avoid a punishment. That's what mercy meant. And God poured out that towards us. Another one is chesed, which means, and if somebody's watching this or you know, and you're like, he's mispronouncing all those words please just send me an email and I'll, I'll say it right the next time. Uh, chesed, which means goodness, kindness, or overwhelming compassion. In the New Testament, the words that you see used for mercy are alemon, uh, um, which means to have pity on or to show a compassion with love. In this one, waktermos, which means to show Loving compassion or pity. The idea of it is with a divine forbearance. So it's almost stepping in and giving someone something in a situation where they would never be able to do or have any control of it themselves. And I feel like that is exactly what God did to us because while we were lost in sin, there was no possible way that we could ever be right with our Creator. But then He comes up and He says, Look, in the Old Testament, the system of the law, you can have your sins covered. I won't look at your sins, I'll look at the sacrifice. And then the precious Lamb of God comes, the perfect sacrifice, and God says, I won't even recognize the sin, it's washed away. But the problem was, is God's people had a real hard time understanding this. In, in, you see it in the New Testament. Because they had been through hundreds of years of rebellion against God, serving other gods, idolatry. And this is where I, I, I really, people, people think, they say, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament was, you know, cruel and ready to, to dish out punishment. You couldn't, you couldn't, if you read that thing, you, you couldn't possibly see that. God's mercy was just unfathomable towards, towards people. In the Old Testament. And I, I tell you what, if you, I, I'm a big, I, I pump this thing every chance I get, the YouVersion app, the Bible.com. If you read the chronological Bible reading plan on that, I tell you what, the, the picture that it paints and what you understand through the Old Testament, you see exactly how God was so merciful. I mean, there were nations that were wicked whenever they first came into the promised land. And I mean, at that point, God was using Israel as a tool of judgment against Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of idolatry, human sacrifice, injustice. And even some of those nations, God even said, Nope, don't do anything with them. Their sin's not full yet. Why? What does that mean? He was still giving them time to repent. Even if you look at the book of Jeremiah, I, I tell you what, this time reading through it, I, I it's like I saw stuff in that book that I'd never seen before. The, up to this point, there is just so many years of just absolute debauchery and evil going on with the kings of Israel, of leading people into idolatry, leading, in the whole time these prophets are coming and saying, guys, look, I am warning you, you have a window to use right now, please take it and repent, please take it and repent, or there will be, there will be judgment, there will be judgment, and prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, they ignored, they ignored, and the Bible even says they killed them. Because they didn't want to hear what they had to say. And then in Jeremiah, it's finally like this, it's finally at the tipping point. And Jeremiah goes before the people and says, Look, if you repent right now and you turn, God will not execute any of his judgment on you. It's like God was putting it all the way to the last point. It, you know, I feel like we do. Amanda and I are parents, you know, and sometimes I feel like we're very merciful, and we give lots of those warnings to our kids. Guys, don't do that again. Guys, don't do that again. Guys, please don't do that again. Guys, please don't do that again. It's almost like that was what God was doing with the children of Israel. Don't do it. Guys, come on, repent, 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 up to that last second. And I thought this time, what if they would have taken it? How different would have human history been if they would have just turned? I mean, because after that, after the book of Jeremiah, you see, man, it goes downhill. Everything goes downhill. I mean, their cities are destroyed, their people are taken captive, and they become slaves in other nations. Why? Because that is the finally God said, look, I've I've given you the opportunity. I've given you hundreds of years of opportunity to change at this point. And nobody took it. And so what they did to try to rebuild that with God is finally recognizing, because, I mean, how many of you noticed, like, you remember the times with your parents, it's like, once the punishment came, you felt like, oh, yeah, man, I, I messed up. Right? And we have these moments, the aha moments, sometimes after the devastations happened. Of, oh man, I should not have done that. That was definitely not the right thing to do. The children of Israel had that in their exile. But then what you see whenever you go into the New Testament, the timeline after that, is that to get right with God, they thought it was a series of deeds, actions, and duties that would restore that relationship with God. And they thought, well, if I just do the right thing, and I, I have everything lined up, and I I I I I have the right sacrifices, and I, I, I go to church every Sunday, Tabernacle every Sunday, and I and I and I'm trying my best to follow the law. I, I I'll, I'll, that'll be it. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, became so enamored with this idea that they even became the there was like subsets. Sure, there was the law of Moses, but then it was I mean, if you read into the history, so many subset of rules that they put into place. I mean, whenever Jesus said, like, you put impossible rules on people. Like, and it was true, you couldn't. But to the Pharisees, it's the only way we can get closer to God. We have to do it. We have to show that we're good enough to have everything that he took away from us back. We have... And they were misplaced because they thought the only way to come back to God was just doing the right thing. And whenever Jesus showed up, his message was not, go and do the right thing. It was, look, repent, because there is a loving God that wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you just to do a set of rules and standards. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He's thought about this. He's chosen you. He's poured out all of his love to you. And that's why the Pharisees hated the idea of what Jesus was telling because it, was, it wasn't what lined up for what their image of God was. But, and you see this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, to give the context right before this, what happens, Jesus heals someone, and then after that, he goes and has a dinner with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are like, you can't do that, that, that that's, that's, that's preposterous. Because, I mean, you've got to think, the Pharisees look down on anyone else. Even, the, even just the, the people that came to church is all sinners. I mean, they thought that they were in some elevated status because of everything that they did, everything that they sacrificed, everything that they. And all of it was for show. All of it was for what everyone can see. And Jesus said something different I don't want, I want your heart. I want you to respond to your God's love. And so they're all bent out of shape. And then Jesus says to this to them, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he did it through love. He did it through love, and that is what God is wanting for you. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to respond, not with a set of rules, but a relationship. I'll encourage you. I've, man, I, I get caught up in this too. I, you, you try to spend time with God. You want to pray. You know, you want to. You want to read. But the, sometimes you get tripped up. It's like it becomes more of a, a task to complete, and that's not what God wants it to be. Your personal time with God is to establish relationship with Him. That's what He's after. He's not after to say, "Well, you know, I completed my completed my reading plans and I read two chapters of the Bible and I, I said." said, you know, a good 15 minutes of prayer. You know what? And if you did it and you were totally devoid of any kind of relationship with God, it meant nothing. God wants a relationship with you, the real you. The things, he wants to talk to you about the things that you struggle with. He is overwhelmingly looking at you with mercy and compassion and love. He's not going to judge you. He wants to help you in ways that you cannot help yourself. I mean, that's the very definition of that one word of mercy. It's almost providing love and compassion whenever it was totally unavailable or unable to be obtained by the individual themselves. And whenever you start to change your heart, you start to see a difference of what God really wants and what he really is. I love Psalm 136. Psalm 136, 1 We'll, we'll give you the first one, but you can read it for yourself. Please read it for yourself. It's such a great, great chapter. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Every single verse in that chapter ends with, his mercy endures forever. But if you look through some other translations, it also says, his loving kindness is everlasting, his enduring love lasts forever. All these things go on in our life and we need to know God's enduring love lasts forever to us. No matter what situation you've put yourself in, no matter what situation you find yourself in, God wants to give you mercy. If you come into a situation and say, well, you know, I'm going through this, but it's, it's because of, you know, it's because of, I, I know I should have changed and I didn't do it. You know, and so God's judging me with this. That doesn't work out to what God has in the Bible. If you've asked for forgiveness and you've repented, Jesus Christ has wiped that out. Jesus Christ has already paid for your sins, guys. There's no reason you should pay for him too. What, are you going to achieve some kind of position with God that he looks upon you? Oh, well, you know, Jesus paid for it. Oh, look at him. He's, he wants to pay for it too. No, it's not, it doesn't work like that. That's not how it works. Now, I'll close this out with this. The Apostle Paul, there was a guy that understood mercy. Because in his life, he studied to become a Pharisee. In fact, he was top-notch as far as Pharisees go. He even says it. And then his whole mission in life was not just to speak against Christianity, but to kill Christianity. Even if that meant killing the Christians that believe in Jesus Christ. Talks about that there was a guy, Stephen, that was stoned to death for what he said against the religious leaders trying to draw them to Jesus Christ. In the Bible it says Saul gave hearty approval in the stoning of him. Paul spent his entire life kill Christians, throw them in jail, and end Christianity. But then he had an encounter with Jesus. Something very interesting happens where, and you can read it in the book of Acts, where it says he has this encounter where Jesus Christ himself appears to him, knocks him off his horse. And it's interesting, Paul's first response to it, he just says, who are you, Lord? It's an immediate position of knowing I am so far, Outclassed in this in what is going on right now, I have no no place other than to ask for mercy from whatever this is. And you see, Paul, you read his you read the, the letters that he wrote, he understood that he received mercy. He even said at one point, I am the chiefest of all sinners. It's like you guys, you guys are just having problems with how you live your life. You're having problems with the lying, giving it into the flesh. He's like, yeah, I dealt with that too. And I killed people. So if you think you you, you, you don't think it applies to you. Oh, it does because it applied to me. And you see kind of like the heart that Paul gives. I want to read this out of Romans 28 as we, as we close. Do you want to go to Romans chapter 8? Man, I love, the Roman, I love Romans chapter 8. What a, so many good parts of it. I feel like Paul's at this place where he wants to, he really wants to hammer it home. He's like, guys, look, God's not against you. No matter what you've done in your life, God is not against you. If if you've received Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You are not enemies with God. He says in verse 28, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, for those who call, are called according to his purpose. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed in the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Saying, "God, God wanted you to be part of his family before you existed. He predestined you to know him through Jesus Christ. It says, in whom he predestined, these he called. In whom he called, he justified. In whom he justified, he also glorified. And Paul's trying to say, guys, it's all available to you. Your past doesn't dictate who you are. Jesus Christ dictates who you are. It doesn't matter. And it's almost like, I love his tone with this. He says, what do we say then to these things? If God's for us, who's against us? And he's asking this rhetorically. He's like asking, who is against us? What? Is it he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us? How will he not go also with him to freely give us all things? Saying, like, what? Is God going to be the one that, that, that is against you? He gave you all things. He gave you everything. He loves you. And then he almost asks, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to remind you of your past? Who's going to say you don't deserve mercy? Who's going to do it? And he goes right to the top. He's like, what? Who's going to do it? Jesus Christ? He said, no. Jesus Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather he was raised. He's the one at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. He's basically saying God's not against you. Jesus Christ is not against you. What is against you? In his heart, in verse 35, it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, or persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword? It says, Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And really what that is is saying, Look, we are in a place where we need help. We are not able to take care of our own by ourselves, but God in his love. He's the one that wants to be with us. He's given us his mercy. He's not against us. And if he's not against us, there's nothing that can be against us. That's why he then says, But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, guys, God poured it all out for us. He wants nothing but good for you. Will you just receive it? And that's where we are today. There is nothing that we've done that stops Jesus Christ from loving us. It's available to us, but we have to be the ones to make the choice to accept his mercy, to admit, God, I need help. I have not done it right. And it it's the moment you do that, that, that's it. God's eyes are constantly searching for Once you do that, it's like, aha, I'll pour myself into them. They'll receive. available to all of us here today. I don't want to take it for granted with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you, you've never experienced that love, that mercy, that forgiveness, God wants to give it to you today. And all you have to do is admit yes, Jesus, I need you. I can't bridge the gap between you if I sin, God, I need Jesus. And whenever you accept Him, everything is now available to you through Him, through His love, through His mercy. If you're here today and you want to make sure that you, I want to make sure that we know that Jesus Christ, if you want to accept Him, you raise your hand watching online, if you identify that, hey, this is me, I, I need Jesus Christ, I need that mercy, I want my past forgiven, all you have to do is pray this prayer, and let's all pray this together. Say, God, I need your mercy, I want eternal life, I want your blessing, I want to be in your family. Save me, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus are, my Lord. Just like that, all of God's goodness, all of God's mercy, all of His blessing is available to us. His love and compassion never runs out. No matter how far you've gone, it's here for us today. Father, I thank You for today, and I thank You that You have shown Your love towards us through Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Lord, help us learn how we are more than conquerors because of your mercy, and your grace.